Hello and welcome to a new episode of Startups, Sparks and Serendipity. This is Mike. As always, I'm joined by the one and only Max Elster. How are you doing, Max? Hi, Mike. Doing great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I had a fairly short night, which I usually don't really like because I, I try to protect my sleep, but I got a lot of stuff done, which is nice. I'm very happy to talk to you right now. Likewise, I can't, uh, couldn't agree more. Actually, um, when you talk about sleep, it would be kind of interesting maybe to have an episode around sleep in the future, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, like I, I can share my two cents now, but I think we can yeah, probably talk for, for a whole episode about that because I know that you are, <laughs> you have very strong opinions as well. But yeah, for me, like one of the things I try to optimize most is just getting enough sleep in because mm. I think generally it's just very important if you want to be really productive, especially when there are important things that you need to do, or if you need to think creatively, lack of sleep is one of the worst things that you can do for that. And then in addition to that, I'm, I'm even a bit more sensitive than other people, I think. Like if I have slept enough, I'm fairly confident generally in my productive abilities. But when I'm tired and haven't slept enough, it's very much the opposite. Like I, I don't think that I'm on peak or that I can get on peak without sleeping enough. And I I couldn't agree. I think it's the same for me. I am uh, I feel like a like a dead animal when I sleep less than like <laughs> six seven hours. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, but are you kind of the guy? That, like, how many hours do you need? Are you the Jocko Willink? I need four hours, and uh, no, I I run around the block, or are you more on the I eight wish. hour side? No, I'm I'm more on the eight hour side. Like, uh, the, when I actually when I grew up and like still went to to school and like had my uh, had to get up at six a.m. every single morning just to get the school bus, I usually slept like four hours on average every single night. And in hindsight, I don't know how I survived. <laughs> you did, apparently. I mean, I think school back then, it was still a little different, um, how you could kind of get used to sleeping less and, and just go with the, the kind of morning groove that everybody had back then. But I was also like, yeah, so basically back in my high school days, I had to get up at 6 a.m. every single morning. And then also my first job had to get out of bed, like, even shortly before six and I routinely slept four hours a night, which in hindsight, I don't know how I survived, but I was also, I, I felt like a different human being sometimes, uh, just like trying to sustain, not really being in, in peak productivity mode, which you don't necessarily need to be at school, right? You, you don't need peak productivity in school. But yeah, now that I need to be extremely productive and creative and yeah, like just be on the on the best form possible. I need eight hours. If it's below, like until seven thirty, like seven seven hours thirty minutes, I'm I'm very productive. Below that, I notice a difference. I start noticing a difference. Below seven gets tough to like be hyper productive, and below six is just a nightmare. Yeah, same same for me. I, I think we're quite similar. It might be uh, that we both grew up in the same region. Maybe the air is quite quite similar. That, that's probably it. <laughs> but we should actually include Daniel Dippold sooner or later. He's also an expert on sleep. And maybe we should involve him for 15, 20 minutes. So be excited, people. Uh, we, we might have an, an external guest as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I know a sleep coach as well. Maybe, maybe we can do a sleep episode with a couple of different people. And yeah, that could add, uh, add some value. But I yeah, I think one thing we wanted to talk about today is about startups 
which uh, is nice because it's in our name. And I think the very specific thing you suggested is talking about why you would even start a startup. Like, did I did I understand that correctly? Yes, sir. I think um, especially I think for all people that have the thought, and I I, I talk to a lot of people who kind of have the vision of of starting a startup, and mm. I thought maybe to kind of summarize it and bring it down to potential key thoughts that we have why you should mm-hmm. start one. And we we both started one, so I think we can we can speak from maybe a short amount of experience, but I think it's still very worthful to to listen to it. Yeah, like do you want to start? Sure. So I think there are quite several points that that could be addressed when when thinking about the idea of why to start a startup. I, I want to start actually by kind of taking a first step into one topic, which is autonomy. Mm. Um, I think there's no better way of kind of expressing autonomy than to build a startup. Because the first thing you do by kind of starting a startup is you need to identify a problem, which I think a lot of people can identify problems. A lot of people actually do that. They talk a lot about things they, they get annoyed by, they are bored by. And all those mm. kind of opportunities where you talk about potential problems, you could actually fix them, right? So I think actually identifying problems is is a practice and 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 by kind of building and participating in startups you teach yourself on how to identify problems because you face problems all the time you jump over problems all the time where you also most of the time you are not an expert on solving this specific problem and i think by kind of running through different problems you actually learn how to be more effective in autonomous mode. Uh, so I think that's something that I would definitely love to share in, in this regard. Yeah, to some, to some degree, I, I agree, but I, I don't know if I understand you like fully. Because mm-hmm. like first of all, I think to be really autonomous, isn't it better to just become a digital nomad and do like freelancing than building a startup? Because building a startup is a lot of time commitment. You are usually, you usually like have to be at one place if you're not a remote only company. And then also you have accountability, right? Especially once you have employees. I I totally Mm -hmm. agree that autonomy is a part of it. But I think if you want to live the full autonomy life, just become a freelancer and like do whatever you want. I agree. Yeah, maybe to to, to kind of add a different angle, I think we should compare that to maybe an an employee that works somewhere where kind of the autonomy is driven not by your own kind kind of direction. The autonomy is driven by the tasks that the company gives you or that that you are kind of put upon, especially when you look at consultants, they don't really have any autonomy at all than kind of applying for certain projects. And and that's not a bad or a good thing, but I think the autonomy that you have within the startup is a different one than to the real employee world. Understood. Okay. Yeah, I think, okay, I think where you're getting from, basically want to say like in the startup world, it's less important how you solve a problem and you're mm-hmm. like freer in terms of actually approaching the problem from different angles and just trying to find a solution. Agreed. Absolutely. And 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 sometimes I think also when, when looking into working more autonomously, you often have to find your own methodologies and, and structures uh, mm. to actually be autonomous, right? And, and and when you work for another company, mostly they have set up processes, they have set up structures, and they kind of throw you into a structure to make you feel comfortable. And and that's a great thing. But I think working for, for a startup, you actually need to build the autonomy structure around the thing you do every single time, especially mm. from the ground up and from the start. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Like autonomy is a big part for me as well, which is also kind of supported by the fact that I don't really like to work for someone else. That's probably more a personal thing. And it's not necessarily true for everyone who builds a startup, but I just really cherish the idea of just working for myself and my co-founders and like all the employees that have stock options, uh, right? But in, in theory, just being able to decide, I have a final say. That's basically how I think about it. That's, that's one big part for me. 
Mm-hmm. And then also, I think that's one thing we talked about before. One big reason also why I started a startup is that I can literally choose the people I want to work with. And that's one of the best things in my life right now, because I'm working with, on the one hand, two of my best friends that are my co-founders, and then also every single person we hired. I love them as human beings and as our like team and employees. And I've never worked in such a great cohesive team. Mm. And the main reason is we can just pick whoever we want, right? As long as they also want it. But it's just a, it's just a way better feeling than just being put in some random team and not really having that much of an influence of who you want to work with. So that's one of the biggest reasons for me. I, I, I agree. Um, and that's also a thing that we both noted down, I think, very specifically. And I think what comes with that, with kind of choosing the people that you like to work for, is that you can actually define the culture that you want to establish. And when you look back at kind of the history of us walking through life, every situation, at least from how I see it, walking through kindergarten, going to school, going to university, culture is mostly set up for you beforehand. Mm. You, you, of course, have your kind of friend circle where you build your culture with your friends. But when you look at the kind of education system, most of the time the culture is built for you and you need to actually adapt to the culture of the education system. Um, and sometimes people, of course, choose different universities because of different cultures, which is also very interesting because you subjectively have a choice of choosing the culture and the people that you would like to be surrounded with. What was the best culture you've ever experienced that you haven't built yourself? I think actually when looking back, that's a cool question. Um, when looking back, I think the school time from the first to fourth grade, maybe even kindergarten, and, and I'm not 100% sure about this actually, but one of those times was probably very interesting to me because okay. you have lots of very, and that's something that fascinates me from my inner heart more or less. It's you have lots of people surrounded uh, by you, which are all very, very curious, at least most of them. Most of them, young, young people, young children, kids are curious by standard because they just haven't seen anything in life and everything they see, they are very curious about how it works, why it's there, wh- why, what can be impacted by kind of touching things. And this is something I think where curiosity defines a culture from a different perspective. And when you would, ha- when you would join a company and everybody would be as curious as the kindergarten people would be, you would have an amazing culture and an amazing company. I'm pretty sure about that. And that's something that kind of gets lost on yeah. the pathway of, of becoming older in yeah. most of the times. I, I think you need the curiosity of someone in kindergarten, but also maybe some kind of discipline to actually work on stuff and not just play with the sand. But I I totally agree. Like I would love more curiosity. And I've always been very attracted to like places of knowledge, like good universities, Mm. great companies that hire a lot of smart people. So in terms of work culture, the best thing I've ever worked at was definitely Stripe. Uh, Like I'm explicitly not including Blair, my company, because I, I said things we haven't created ourselves. But yeah, Stripe is amazing. Like lots of smart people, great culture, very good cohesiveness of very smart people. That was amazing. And then also, I think one thing that I really enjoy is having really strong bonds between people you work with. So there are people that separate like work and life in quotation marks or their university life and their private life to some degree. But I've always been very invested in being very close to the people I spend a lot of time with, Mm. which is why my university was a very good catch because we, we have a very strong culture. 
which if you like it, really, really, really helps you to build strong bonds with all of the, all of your peers. And I've, I've, I think the main reason for that for me is like I've grown, I've grown up in team sports and there's mm. just, it's just the thing, right? Uh, you like your you like your teammates. You spend a lot of time together, and then you also are, are friends with them. And I, I would love to do, have a similar feeling in uh, at work, right? Where you have a high performance organization which actually wants to achieve goals and wants to perform, wants to get better, but where you also have very strong bonds between the actual people you you are surrounded with. Did you kind of see a difference when working with different peers? in whether that was Stripe or the previous companies that you worked for, or also looking at Blair now, did you see similarities and differences when it comes to team performance and individual performance in regards to kind of any kind of elements that they have done before, whether that's sports or working for different companies? Oh, or- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm a very strong proponent of having done very impressive things in one area of life, that, that this often trickles into other areas of life. So I'm, I'm a very big fan of hiring like very accomplished athletes or hiring ex-military people, for example. And that's just one example, like just people that had to prove in their past that they are disciplined and can work hard. And uh, like there are so many different examples for that. You can also have one like a science prize with your, with your science team or something, but having done impressive things in the past, usually, is, is at least a good indicator of also doing great stuff at work. It's it's definitely not always the case, right? We know a lot of mm. pro athletes, especially at a certain age, that you don't necessarily want to hire. But if there's a good mix of general, let's say, cognitive ability and then also signs of achievements in other areas, that's usually for me a very good indicator for, for me wanting to work with someone else. I like what you just said about kind of the, if you identify a person that has been quite successful in a totally different vertical before and kind of hiring that person because you believe that since a person has been successful before, they probably also know how to be successful and how to kind of apply that to different verticals, other verticals. Actually to mention, um, I, I and I think we talked about this, but I, I read Ray Dalio's principles books and he talks about the decision-making of kind of, or the, the process of his decision-making. Mm-hmm. And he always triangulates, that's how he calls it, triangulates his views before he makes a decision. And what does that mean? It means that he talks to a couple of other people and he decides who to talk to by a kind of believability index. And the believability mm-hmm. index is exactly formed by what you just said he wants to talk to people that have as have at least had kind of three different projects before where they have been successful and that can be in other verticals um but it's definitely it's something that where he kind of he wants to see that people have been successful in previous areas to apply that they might also have a good successful view on his his kind of decision yeah past performance is one of the best indicators of future performance uh, which literally is what you can't say if you sell financial products but uh, it usually is the case for for people right if you it's not always the case there are always exceptions etc cetera, etc cetera. and actually the quote i will quote at the end uh, will go into a bit of a different direction uh, so i'm i'm trying to tease you uh, all a bit but I think that like most of the impressive people I've met, like that I've met five years ago, where I thought, okay, well, what they've done is is really, really impressive. Mm. And then looking at them now, like most of them have still done very impressive things and even more impressive things. And uh, like we we could talk about that for a fairly long time, but we are kind yep. of 
not talking about the topic anymore. So let's maybe switch back <laughs> and talk about reasons to start a startup. I think one reason that comes up a lot is financial success. Mm. But I think it's often very largely misunderstood from the outside. If you actually compare different options of becoming a millionaire, building a startup from a probability-weighted perspective is one of the worst things you can do. Yeah. There are way easier things of becoming a millionaire. However, if you are inclined, let's, let's talk about it only from a financial perspective, right? If you want to become like a billionaire or even like own like a hundred million at some point, there are very few ways of actually achieving that if you're not founding your own company. So you, you need to own equity in, in something. If you're not like a very like famous athlete who's, who's at their peak or like an artist or something. But the only other way of really becoming very rich is a startup founder. However, the probability is extremely low, right? And that's also how venture investing works, right? A couple of your startups return a lot of money and most of them fail. So I think many... Many people, especially from the outside, misunderstand being a founder as this like just wait what's money, but it, it literally isn't. If if I if if you're listening right now and you want to become a millionaire like within the next, I don't know, 10 years or something, what you should do is go into a high paying job, save a lot of the money you actually earn. So pay attention to your expenses. Don't let your expenses rise with your own salary. So keep your standard of living constant and then just invest the money into an index fund and then in 10 years you're a millionaire that's basically that's basically how it would work and uh, not in so times of corona fund. but <laughs> even then right shocks yeah, i mean are, yeah of course shocks yeah. are part of it but shocks are part of it you, you just need to have a long-term perspective on it I agree. But, that's what i wanted to say with it yeah. yeah yeah we can talk about personal finance at some point as well but i think there are better like Would people that are better qualified that think about it more because for us I mean, the money is not the, the reason why we are in the startup world, right? I, I think it's it's a nice idea of having financial independence and not ever worrying about money anymore. But it's definitely not the not the reason why why I'm a founder. I definitely want to be successful and money like having money myself is a very good proxy of being a successful founder because it means you either exited or IPO'd or whatever. So I definitely want to be affluent at some point. But the major reason for that is that this means that I succeeded. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Which I think is, is, of course, right? I mean, successful companies should make money. Therefore, the, sh the founder should participate in any way. So that's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that's definitely obvious. Is there any other kind of point where you think besides the money, it has kind of drove you to actually start a startup back then? Yeah, to be, to be real, Max. Is there anything else in life that matters other than money? I don't think so. All right. Let's, no, no, no. Like, let's get quit. Quit. Cut, 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 cut. Yeah. So we're cutting this out. Nice. Uh, nice. No, like for real. I think right. like money, money was never my main motivation. And it, it still isn't. <laughs> I think you, you need to build a profitable business that scales and makes a lot of money. That's the goal of becoming a founder for many people. Yeah. Um, and then also like one reason that you could potentially that's a very good reason for actually starting a company is solving a problem that you might have or that other people have that you saw. So actually solving a problem that you care about. I think that's one of the best reasons for starting a startup, but it's not, it's not the only reason you can start a startup in an area with like a problem you don't necessarily care that much about, but where you see a lot of opportunity and there are a lot of very famous cases for that working out. So I think both works. 
And then one thing that's really important for me, and we definitely talked about that before, is just the learning curve of being a founder. You just have a feeling as if you develop five times, 10 times quicker than in almost any other job, because I think you mentioned it earlier, because you have to solve so many problems and there's no one else who solves it for you. I mean, at some point you hire people, but on the company level, you still have to solve the problems. You need to take care of everything and make sure that everything works. So... And the, and the problem changes in every stage. So the, the, the problems you have in the first couple of weeks and months are very different from the next six months. And then if it works well, over time, you will have just harder and harder challenges to solve, which is a very, very nice thing. So I, I just love this view of having a job in quotation marks or a career that basically grows with me and challenges me to the best of my abilities every single day, week, and month of the year. Very well summarized. And and I would add one more thing, maybe as like a final point for my side, which is mm. I feel that kind of building startups and, and being participating in kind of the development of, of your own startup brings two sides with it. You become a generalist in a way that I think you can't become in any other company um, mm. because you, you actually have so many different hats on. Like mm. you literally have hats on in, in finance, in hiring, in culture, in sales, um, in product. Um, and, and with a couple of people working on a problem, you are the generalist for all of these, for all of these issues. And over time, and that's very cool, I think also for people starting out um, after kind of like people graduating, a lot of people don't know kind of where they're headed, right? And sometimes mm. a startup can help to identify which of those verticals could be your specialized force in the future. Is that more on the product side? Is that more on the finance side? And you could potentially experience that in a trainee or whatever, but I think a startup actually helps you to oversee different processes and you are responsible to developing each of those kind of responsibilities. Mm. And that's something where I think a trainee or kind of any other position in an excellent company can't go into depth that much because at the end you're not fully responsible for the decisions you make and yeah. when you're fully responsible you are eager and more willing to learn um, and that helps to to build your own specialized area where you want to become really really good at and also understand how you understand the more generalist kind of perspective on different fields within the startup and uh, i have personally learned a lot about the, the different segments of, of the terms that i just mentioned whether it's finance um, sales product and it's just a great experience to go through it all and and, and become a generalist but also find your own kind of niche where you're good at yeah yeah i totally agree this is really i'm probably misquoting this but there's really good idea or school of thought of having autonomy plus accountability equaling learning right if you can mm -hmm. do your own decisions and you're accountable for the outcome then you will actually learn how to do it and there's yeah. no better way to do that than just becoming a founder and then also one other thing to add is it's insane how many different hats i had on <laughs> even within the last year and just how many different things i had to learn or understand or solve and i'm actually looking forward to some point in time where i have like my main hats and then have people hired for like at least some of the other hats but the cool thing is even if you hire other people let's say at some point we hire a pr person just as an example Before I can hire a PR person, I need to understand how PR works. I need to understand what's important, what qualities do, does this person need to have? How do we structure the department, et cetera, et cetera. Who do they report to? Who do they work with? So there's a lot of understanding that you need to do to actually give the task to someone else. And obviously, like in our case, we have three co-founders, so don't, I don't have to do it for everything. But 
it, there's just so many different things to learn just by having, for example, to deal with journalists for the first time or with investors or there's so many great things. Yeah. And now we are fanboying a bit about becoming a founder, which is <laughs> probably also, which, uh, also a nice which, thing. Yeah. I mean, it was not a, we didn't want to do an objective discussion, right? It should be a subjective one, of course, mm. why we why we thought um, it would be would make sense. And I would kind of close it off with, I think, three very important questions that Michael Seibel raised, which is the CEO of YC, mm. Y Combinator. And he said there are three basic questions that you need to understand before you want to, before you identify whether you want to start a company or not. And the first one is, do I like being the underdog? Mm. The second is, do I seek the hard challenges that most people shy away from? As the mm. second question. And the third one is, do I thrive when I take personal responsibility for success or failure? And interestingly enough, those kind of points were covered within the discussion. And he summarized it quite well, I think, in three basic basic questions. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that like number two and three is actually very, a very good analogy to being an athlete, right? Hard challenges, most people shy away from just becoming better every single day of the week, working out hard and trying to get the like championship or whatever. And then also personal responsibility for success and failure. It's also that where sports analogy comes in very, very easily. And then in terms of liking to be the underdog, um, yeah, I, I, heard, I heard him say that before, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure if I agree. I mean, you can maybe thrive in the position to be underdog, but basically the goal should be to convert to not being an underdog anymore, right? So you, you should have the internal drive to actually want to change mm. that state. But yeah, I, I think I know where he's coming from because there's yeah. so many people, especially if they've worked at like Google, Facebook or some other large tech company before that are just very used to everyone liking them or at least knowing what they're doing mm. and getting the foot into the door. And now as a founder, you're basically nothing at first yeah. and you have to work for everything. So I, I definitely, I definitely understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I agree. Google doesn't need to sell. You always need to sell in any kind of opportunity as the underdog, which is, which is, I think, very different. Um, yeah. In respect of time, Mike, I know we have we had a couple of other topics I would love to discuss. Maybe we we also uh, cover them in the next episode because I think they would be interesting to cover in a more detailed passion, uh, mm. in a detailed fashion. Should we jump yeah. to the books book of the day, or what do you think? Yeah, there's there's one thing I I want to touch on really briefly, but. Actually, actually, let's let's skip it. Um, I, I I don't want to just glance on it. Uh, so everyone, next week, great topic. We will talk about it in detail. We talk about having a lot of time and effort put into something, and then at some point it works out. And we have a couple of thoughts on uh, latent potential, as it's called. So make sure to subscribe or whatever you're doing with your podcasts <laughs> to to listen in next week. Uh, but yeah, book of the day. I think it's my turn, right? It's your turn. Yes. Okay, I have a great book for you today, Max, and everyone who's listening. And it has been a book I've wanted to read for a very long time. And I actually like started uh, last week. I'm not, I'm not fully finished, but I can also already recommend it. And it's called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. And it's insanely good. And it's, I, it is very different than I actually expected it to be. And it was off my reading list for a very long time. I've heard so many other people recommend it, but I actually expected it to be... I mean, for, for those who don't know Feynman, he's one of the most famous physicists of the last century. He's a, like a smart person that has done so many interesting things, even outside of physics, and also <laughs> a, a tinkerer, a tinkerer in so many ways. And he, he talks a bit about his 
his childhood, his life in general, how he solves problems. I thought it would be way more, not hard science in there, but at least I, I thought about it as having more of an instructive character, but it's actually just telling stories and it's a very easy and light read, but with mm. ve- a lot of very interesting conclusions or a lot of things you can use for your own benefit. And yeah, I suggest it to everyone who's interested in what super smart, very accomplished people do with their lives. And <laughs> have you actually read it? I don't know. I didn't actually. And um, to be quite honest, I've never heard of it. Ooh, interesting. Do you know the Feynman method? I, I, I know who Feynman is, but I don't know his method. Okay, so basically the Feynman method is, or Feynman, I don't know if it's Feynman method, but something like that. Uh, basically what it, uh, what it says is it's a way of actually figuring out whether you actually understand a topic. So he was a very good teacher as well. And there are a couple of ways of doing it, but basically what you do is, um, I think you write down the, the name of the topic on a piece of paper, something like that, and then you write an explanation of the topic on there. But you, you, you'd always have to pretend that you're actually teaching someone else because his, his idea or his main idea is if you try to teach someone else and if you can teach someone else, then you actually understand it. If you can only use very fancy words and can't really break it down to its core pieces, then you don't actually understand the topic. Mm-hmm. And so after you've tried to explain it to someone on the paper or even in person, then you need to review and actually understand what you what you don't understand. Like where are your, where are your holes? What is something you have to repeat? And then you go back, try to understand it, and then you do it again. And then also... If you, if you use wording that is too complex, you need to break it down. Because his idea was always, even if it's a very complex topic, you need to be able to explain it to someone in an easy way. That doesn't mean explain it to a five-year-old. Maybe for some topics, it's actually it should be possible to explain it to someone, but just in an easy language for someone that has a necessary base knowledge for that. That's basically the Feynman, Feynman method or whatever it's called. And... It's a very, uh, like a lot of a lot of teachers are, a lot of very, like, let's say good teachers are trying to, to use it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to deep dive on that. I mean, the method is clear to me and I've heard yeah. of it before, but I wasn't sure if that's kind of associated to him. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. And I, I think the, the most important thing is just uh, what I get out of it. I don't use the pen and like the paper thing. What I do is just, I try to explain topics to other people, either verbally or sometimes uh, in written text to see mm. whether I really understand a topic. It's really helpful. Maybe a final, uh, yeah. uh, before you f- finalize it with the quote, um, one thing that I, I practiced, which Bill Gates kind of actually introduced me to, not personally, unfortunately. <laughs> but Yeah, when did <laughs> yeah. you talk to him the last time? Did, did you, didn't you visit him? I like, didn't. I, I didn't interview him, unfortunately. Huh. <laughs> um, hmm. But I think one thing that he said was when reading a book, he um, he has a paper and a pen next to him, and he always he doesn't like summarize what's been saying what's been said in the book. He just asks questions and writes them down specifically to the topics he reads about. So if let's say there's a topic about um, the impact of climate change and there's kind of like different uh, different numbers being mentioned, he, is, he writes down the question why those numbers are that high or that low in order to understand the problem better. I think that's also a very interesting way of understanding, understanding problems in better and also kind of formulize them when writing down and when writing questions down to understand it better. So I think that's, that's very interesting. What he has yeah, done. my uh, reading uh, method has changed so many times. At some point, we definitely have to talk about our reading method. Please, I think. please. Yeah. One, one thing that really helps me, and that's the thing that I've done for years, 
which is not necessarily true for everything else because I've changed my reading method so many times. But I'm reflecting regularly on this. I, I pause reading and I'm reflecting on what I've just learned. And I think about how I can put it into my old lettuce work of knowledge. That's the thing that Shane Parrish from uh, Farnham Street also recommends. I think Charlie Munger said it first or something. But basically what you do is you read a new topic, let's say about physics, about a specific equation. And then you think, okay, where, like, what is the foundation of this equation? Like, where, where did I see this before? What is it related to? What does it mean for the other things I know? And then if you actually put it in there, and make some connections, it's way more likely that you will actually remember it. Good point. Interesting. I've done that before, so subconsciously, more or less. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Good that's that's good. Excellent. I like that. You, you are smart by nature. <laughs> because I talk to you, Mike. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah. A quote. So I actually, this time, I would love to get your thoughts on the quote before we close it off. Um, so we change, we change it a little bit, but it's from James Clear. And he has a lot of good quotes, uh, especially when it's uh, about habits and improvement and everything. But he said, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. And that's a bit different from what I said earlier, right? When I said that past achievements are important and uh, not important, but in the sense that it's usually a good predictor of future success as well. But what he says here is your past success doesn't matter that much as long as your trajectory right now is on a good way. And I think that despite saying what I said earlier, I still agree, but I would like to hear your thoughts first. I think it really depends. And that's, I mean, and of course, that's the answer, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it, <laughs> thanks. It, thanks, Max. I think we can close it off now. <laughs> I think when looking at kind of personal goals, I believe that the trajectory is more important than the current results at all. I mean, because you, you want to look at yourself more from a long-term perspective. When you think about building a company, I think it's a mix of both because I, I believe that when kind of looking at data-driven analysis, it helps to kind of see the results and then define or then maybe see if the current results that you have, metrics that you have, define the trajectory afterwards. I would probably look at the results first and then build the, tra the, the trajectory uh, on it because, or analyze it on the trajectory on, on the data. But I think when it comes to personal goals, I would totally agree. I don't think the current results to define your progression at all. And I think the trajectory from a more holistic perspective is, should, should decide whether you're on the right path or not. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah. I love that quote, actually. Yeah, if you think about it in terms of numbers, it, it it's very context dependent, as you said. If you start at number one versus someone that starts at number 100 and you have only like a 10% better trajectory, then it takes a lot of time to actually catch up if, if it's a like yeah. yearly trajectory or something. But if you're at number one and you are, have a 4x trajectory and the other one is at 10, so 10 times better than you, but they only have a 1.5 trajectory, then you catch them very quickly, right? So it, it obviously very much depends on the context itself, but I think that trajectory is something that's often overlooked um, because it also, like that's also a thing I learned at YC. Your results are important, but the time or effort you put into the results is also important. So if, you, if it takes you four months to get to a revenue goal versus four weeks, that's a very, very different very different situation, right? And it's the same with 
your personal life as well. Um, but yeah, uh, like like your thoughts on that, and I'll repeat it just so that we can really close <laughs> close out the episode with that. As always, was a pleasure, Max, like uh, to talk to you. Looking forward to get into the other topics next week. And yeah, to everyone listening. Send us a couple of questions. We had a couple of people actually reach out to tell us what we should talk about. And I think it's actually a good idea. Maybe we do a Q&A session at some point uh, in the next couple of episodes. So yeah, um, make sure to send us things you would like to hear more about. And then I'll just say the quote from James again. It's, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. Over and out by Max.